Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to start by apologising. Lewis, my dog, he is on my lap because he's feeling extra extra cuddly after the racing this weekend. So you may hear lots of jingling and jangling. That's just his tags. I'm too lazy to edit it out, so you're just going to have to deal with it I'm afraid. But I digress. On to Saxon Ring. So I am going to start with Moto3 and that absolute amazing battle between Denise Onchu and Sasaki. And our boy Onchu, he finally got his first win and it was a beautiful one. It was right down to the wire, a beautiful last lap move, absolutely sensational. Congratulations to Onchu. If you're in the Discord server, which I know some of you listening will be, we have a guy in there who is a massive Onchu fan, and just seeing him so happy was wholesome AF. And yeah, it was just a really nice vibe, and it definitely softened the blow of what came later for me as a Mark Marquez fan, but it was absolutely wonderful seeing him celebrate and finally getting that first win, and we can finally say that Denise Onchu is a Grand Prix race winner. Congratulations, dude. You definitely deserve it. And especially after racing what looked like a very uncomfortable race, he definitely had a dead leg of some kind. And so seeing him take that win was just extra satisfying, I think. And I hope he has a big party. Not too big because we're not far off from Assen. And I think now he's won a race. He's just going to run away with some, you know, really stellar performances moving forward. I did have to cut there because um, my dog was eating a bone and I don't think anyone really needs to hear that. He's gone and put himself to bed, so I'll jump back in. On to Moto2, we had another front row battle between Tony Arbolino and Pedro Acosta. This battle I'm really enjoying because I was a bit concerned that Acosta would jump all the way, you know, forward to running away with the championship basically. I think we got quite fortunate that he did have a crash which he was perfectly okay from and that means Tony Abellino got to the front of the championship and now Acosta has to claw his way back. I think that's really good for the championship because it's putting Tony Abellino a lot more at the forefront of people's minds because Pedro Acosta probably has a seat in MotoGP next year if he wants it whether it'll be with KTM or another manufacturer. That's still to be decided, I suppose. But this is really letting Arbolino shine. And, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on um, Grassini to probably snatch him up for next year. And so it is definitely a championship battle that I'm really enjoying watching. And I'm looking forward to watching it a lot more moving forward. Now, on to MotoGP. We'll start with KTM and we'll start with Brad Binder. Brad Binder had a brilliant sprint. He did qualify down in P9 because we know he's not a qualifying guy. He's definitely a Saturday and a Sunday man. So he managed to get to P6 in the sprint, which I think is an absolute beauty of a performance. Unfortunately, on the Sunday, he did crash out. It looked like quite a nasty crash as well. He walked around, looked a bit dazed, but he did manage to walk away. 
and he has been posting on socials, so we do know he is okay, which is a very good thing. KTM, I'm honestly so impressed with their performance. They really challenged the Ducatis this weekend. I was expecting the Ducatis to do a lot worse this weekend than they did, but it was really good to have KTM up there in the mix. It does feel like they're the only thing stopping Ducati domination this year. And yeah, it's just really cool to see KTM up there and, excuse me, and to see KTM up there. Also on that note, Augusto Fernandez, he got P11 in the race, another absolutely brilliant performance from the rookie. They did interview um, Gas Gas Boss and ask about Paul, how he's doing. They mentioned that he would really love to be back. However, we all want the Gas Gas team, all us fans, no doubt his family and everyone want him to come back only when he's 100%. And hopefully that is Silverstone. I do think it'd be best for him to sit out Assen as well because then we have that beautiful five week break, which will really give him absolute time to recover. I did hear in that interview, which was on um, during the MotoGP race on Video Pass, that he has ridden a motorbike and he's quite comfortable on it. So it, those are really positive signs. And I'm very, very happy that we should be able to see him back for at least the end of the season. And then hopefully he'll get a good strong next season as well, because it will be great to see someone that's knows the bike as well as Paul does and is as talented as Paul does back on the bike. And that's not me hating on Folga, it's just I like to see the riders that we've watched and the riders we expect to line up, line up in the positions that they're supposed to be when they're not being injured. So while we're on a satellite team, we'll move over to RNF Aprilia. Now RNF Aprilia did have a pretty rubbish sprint and a pretty rubbish qualifying, if I'm honest. So Miguel Oliveira qualified in P16, Raul Fernandez in P19. However, the Sunday was a lot better for RNF. So Raul Fernandez got a point, he got up to P15, which I think is quite an achievement considering he's still recovering from that very complicated arm pump surgery. Miguel Oliveira, on the other hand, what a performance. He got P10, knocking on the door of all those Ducatis. Absolutely great ride from him, and he himself isn't 100% after his multiple injuries and incidents this year. So that was absolutely wonderful to see Miguel up there and really show his talents peeking through while he's still recovering. I think the latter half of the season, is when we're really going to see RNF shine and I'm quite excited for that because anything to spice up the championship for me that's quite entertaining. Over at Factory Aprilia it was a weekend to forget for Maverick Vinales. He crashed out of the sprint and then in the main race there was an issue with his bike. Uh, he was just riding along and then you see smoke coming out and he was performing quite well at that point and so I was just really gutted for the guy. He seems to have quite a few tech issues going on with his bike, that plus a few crashes. 
this season is pretty rough to watch for him. He did only qualify in P13. Um, Alex, Alish, sorry. He qualified in P10. He did finish the sprint with a point. He did get to P9. In the main race, however, he opted for the soft tyre. Completely cooked it by the end of the race and finished down in P16. Very, very disappointing considering he had the pace at the start. He was battling up there in P5 and yeah, he just cooked that tyre and didn't have the pace at the end. The tyre just lost all grip. So it was a very disappointing day for Aprilia. Well, factory Aprilia anyway. Over to Yamaha. Now, Franco Morbidelli, nice bro, nice. <laughs> so he qualified P17 pretty horrifying qualifying performance however he managed to claw a lot of places back he got up to p12 gained five places in the main race and not only that he beat fabio quattararo in the main race with quattararo finishing in p13 i wouldn't really want to be fabio quattararo right now that is rough my dude it's just he qualified p12 and lost a place in the race and he lost it to his teammate which is always extra bitter I suppose for a rider at least I imagine because that's how I'd feel I'd be like oh no I at least want to be my teammate so while we're on the topic of Japanese manufacturers Mark Marquez Honda what the hell what do we do here that was a horrific, horrific watch. I I didn't enjoy one part of it. Um, Mark Marquez finished P11 in the sprint. He openly admitted that he had to stop trying to race to win and just wanted to stay on the bike. And those are words I thought would never hear come out of Mark Marquez's mouth. He crashed in the warm-up on Sunday and I don't think I've ever seen the man look so dejected. It was horrible. And that's all I'm going to say there. He didn't participate in the main race. Takanakagami, therefore, was the only Honda on the grid. Now, Takanakagami has openly said in recent weeks that he isn't racing to win. He's racing to finish the race, racing for basic points. At this point, he's basically racing as a data collector so that Honda can try and get any data because he's the sole Honda on the grid. He's the only chance that Honda have to collect data. And I think Honda just need to stop, throw their bike out, start fresh by Suzuki. I don't know, anything other than what they're doing right now because, oh, yeah, they just need to buy Suzuki or do absolutely anything other than what they're doing right now because that bike is dangerous. But on to a much lighter topic, Ducati. Now KTM are the only ones stopping the Ducati domination this season, but my favorite thing about Ducati is while yes, we do have eight bikes on the grid and I would much prefer to see less, I'd like to see a more even playing field. The beauty of having eight bikes on the grid is these eight bikes have eight brilliant riders on them. Now, we never know who's going to win, as in, we don't know which Ducati is going to win. We are going to see a Ducati on the podium at probably every race this season. Whether you're okay with that, whether you're not, it's probably just a fact. 
but we will start with Grissini Ducati. Now, Di Antonio put in an absolutely stellar performance. He's always really good at Saxon Ring, and he qualified in P14. While his sprint wasn't very successful, his main race was. So he managed to gain five places, got up to P9, definitely one of his strongest performances of the year. Whether it'll be enough to save his seat from Tony Arbolino, I'm not sure, but a very good performance from him. Alex Marquez finished both days. Yes, my dude. <laughs> now, Alex Marquez has been having a really bad run of things, so getting him at P8 in the sprint and getting him at P7 in the race, massive step forward, my dude. Really proud for him. And now we'll go, you know, on to VR46. Now, Luca Marini, a lot of eyes were on him because he finished in P2 in the qualifying, so he was on the front of the grid. Unfortunately, it didn't quite translate to the race or the sprint, because in the sprint he finished P4, so collected six points, and in the race he finished P5. These are absolutely still very impressive results, and he should be pretty happy with this performance. Bezeki performed quite a bit stronger, in my opinion. He qualified P5 in the sprint, didn't do so well, P7, but still collected three points. In the main race, he finished P4. Great performance from both the VR46 guys. Now on to Factory Ducati. So we saw Ania Bastanini. He had a pretty good weekend, I think. So he did qualify in P11. We do need to remember that this is only a second full weekend on the bike. He's still got to be feeling some discomfort from that broken shoulder blade. And so I think a P11 for qualifying, and he's not even like the lowest Ducati, I think very impressive. And not only that, he finished the sprint in P10, just outside the points. I bet he's quite gutted with that. But in the main race, he did manage to get P8. So even with that shoulder discomfort, even though he's still really, really new to that bike, put in a really good performance, banked some really solid points and definitely worth mentioning. Now, Peko Bagnaya, he was the favorite coming into this weekend other than Marc Marquez. He qualified in P1, put it on pole. It was a very, very strong qualifying from Peko. I think he should be really happy with his qualifying. In the sprint, he finished P2 and in the main race, he finished P2. I know he won't be overly happy with those results because obviously these guys are MotoGP riders, they are were there to win. However, I'd be pretty happy in terms of the points he received in terms of the championship because right now he needs to be playing the long game because there's still quite a few races left. Yes, he's in the lead, but he's only in the lead by 14 points. Right behind him, is Jorge Martin. Now this man had a beauty of a weekend. I think we can all agree that. He didn't qualify well, only qualified in P6, but in the sprint, as suspected after last week's sprint success, he dominated. P1, he ran away with it in the sprint. It was a truly masterclass performance. However, I think 
Jorge Martin's best performance easily came on Sunday. We saw some absolute beautiful defending from Jorge Martin. The lines he was cutting and the defensive manoeuvres that he was doing to keep Peko behind him. Chefskis. Beautiful Jorge Martin. Absolutely loved it. It was some of the most fun I've had watching a battle in years. It's definitely one that I'm going to remember and it came right down to the wire and it was such a close finish. It's definitely one for the history books. It was a clean and tidy battle between Peko and Jorge. Honestly, I'm absolutely... I'm still buzzing. It's been 11 hours since the race and I am still buzzing from that finish. It was just electrifying and my heart rate was up and my blood was pumping. It was truly some of my favourite racing and those last couple of laps were the exact reason I love MotoGP and it, yeah, I'm very glad we got that racing this weekend and I'm hoping to see much more of it and Jorge Martin is showing the world that he is an incredibly talented rider and Factory Ducati are going to be a bit disappointed they don't have three bikes that they could ride because they would love to have Jorge Martin in the factory seat. I have no doubt about that. And I think, yeah, he could be a shoe-in for the factory seat in the future if he wants it. The other Pramac Ducati, sorry, I just need to take a breather. I just got myself so pumped <laughs> thinking about that final lap. So over on the other side of the Pramac Ducati garage, we had Joan Zarco. Stellar performances both days from the guy. P5 in the sprint, P3 in the race. He's going to be very happy with those results. On the podium again, and yeah, good for him. It's good to see him performing reliably. You know, it'll be interesting to see what next season brings for Zarko, and I'm looking forward to it. I quite enjoy seeing him on the grid. He seems like quite a nice guy, and it's definitely fun to watch him. Now onto some talking points from the weekend. I think the Saxon ring layout is terrible. Pit exit, oof. So we'll start with the crash between Mark Marquez and Joanne Zarco. Um, where to start with this one? So Joanne Zarco was coming out of the pit exit. Mark Marquez was coming around on the racing line. Mark Marquez lost the front, I believe. It may have been the rear. Who knows with the Honda. Um, so he loses the bike. The bike collects Joanne Zarco in horrific fashion at a horrific speed. And I think we are all just very grateful that it managed to avoid Zarco's leg because that would have been a horror, horror injury. Fortunately, it did miss the leg and both riders were okay. Scandal followed naturally because Mark didn't run over to Zarko to immediately to check if he was okay. Mark later clarified this was because he saw that Joanne Zarko was conscious and not being a qualified medical professional, just decided that there was nothing else he could do, so just went back to the garage to get back on the bike. Personally, this is not a decision I'd make. I'd always check on the other rider and wait with them until the marshals arrived. However, Mark has just 
was having a horrific weekend. He definitely wasn't himself this weekend. They spoke after the incident and cleared things up as well as they can. Obviously Zarko's very unhappy with Mark and I can understand his point of view. Now, there was another accident that was almost identical, and this was Maverick Vinales and Alex Marquez. So I will have the pictures up on the screen if you're watching the video format of this, but what happens is pretty much the exact same thing. Alex Marquez is coming out of the pit, Maverick loses the bike on the racing line, and it misses Alex Marquez's bike by millimetres. And it's so high speed and you're watching it back and you're like, wow, that's dangerous. So that's two accidents that could have been so, so severe on the same part of the track. And you have to wonder if it's a flaw with the design of Saxon Ring. Maybe it should be run anti-clockwise, clockwise, whichever one it's not. It's just really interesting and I think we can just all count our lucky stars that neither of those accidents were as bad as they could have been. Also, I want to talk about the tyre choices in Q1. So, uh, conditions were mixed. Mark Marquez and Brad Binder both picked soft tyres, slicks, and this performed brilliantly for them. They made the correct choice. Brad Binder admitted later that he got that advice from Jack Miller. Now Jack Miller's always a strong performer in mixed conditions and I bet he will be very happy that he took that advice. It was really good and it was so good to see Binder and Jack sharing that information and showing what a great duo they are over at that KTM factory team. I really enjoy seeing the banter that Miller and to have together and I hope that we get to see it a lot more moving forward. Another talking point from the GP was Alish Espargaro. Getting better at pronouncing that name. I will keep trying and I will nail it one day I promise. Um, so in the sprint race, sprint, sorry Donna, please don't sue me. Um, in the sprint he did the weirdest launch that I think we've ever seen so you've got the straight that you're going on and the guy just goes straight to the right almost collects a few riders fortunately these MotoGP guys they are like <coughs> onto it instantly um, but wow what the heck that's very unlike him when launching I know that the guy is still injured from that cycling accident that he had a week and a bit ago I know that obviously his heel's injured, he's got fractured ribs. It must have been a hecking quick accident. Like, wow, what the heck? I, I know these guys are like really fit, but how fast do you have to be going to like totally uh, wreck yourself basically? So obviously the heel, the ribs, reports of um, him from trackside reporters show that he had scrapes all over his body just wow so I'm I'm gonna put some of the launch down to that because it was just a bit all over the show really and he said it was entirely his own fault and that he was quite frustrated with the way it happened and he made no excuses for it and you've got to respect that it's definitely one of the weirdest starts I've seen but you know it keeps things interesting I suppose unfortunately 
yeah, he didn't take anyone out, no one got injured, and it's just one of those funny little quirks that I'm going to remember about this race, which is always quite nice. Let's talk about concessions. So, obviously the Japanese manufacturers are struggling hard at the moment, and there's been a lot of talk about whether the rules should be changed to qualify them or to help them get back up into championship or race winning pace and potential. So I did some research, I had a look through the rules and the rules are worded as follows. So the granting and removal of concessions is based on the accrual by the manufacturer of concession points in GP races. This excludes the sprints that is specific in the rules and it's in dry or wet conditions and it takes into account all riders using that manufacturer's machines. So concession points are cumulative over seasons until such time as a manufacturer accumulates six concession points and therefore loses their concessions. Concession points expire after two years from the date that they were accrued. So the concession point system works on uh, similar to the podiums so you get three concession points for getting first place, two concession points for getting second place, and one concession point for getting third place. So I dove through the results of the past few seasons, and I found out that if Yamaha get no podiums between now and the 30th of June 2024, then they will qualify for concessions then. Given how far behind that Yamaha is at the moment, I could see that happening, not them not getting podiums until 2024, and I mean, they probably deserve concessions at that point. They need a satellite team, but that's probably not going to happen until at least 2025, just due to finances, and I listened to an interview with Len Jarvis, and he said that they weren't even looking at that time for a satellite team for 2024. They said it wasn't practical, financially it wasn't practical for anyone, so it's unlikely for 2024 and therefore it's unlikely that Yamaha's going to get podiums anytime soon. The other team that's probably going to need concessions is the Honda. They've only got one rider on the grid, they're probably looking like they're going to need two replacement riders for Assen, so we're going to possibly be looking at Bradel and Lekinoa. I do apologize that I cannot say that correctly. I promise I will get there. I'm practicing and practicing all these names. There's just so many nationalities to wrap my head around. I only speak a few languages. It's like they don't all merge together and sync nicely. They will one day, I'm sure. So these guys probably aren't going to place anywhere in Assen. They might score some points, which would be fabulous. However, Takanakagami's the only reliable finisher at the moment because he doesn't push and he's not going to be getting any podiums anytime soon. Alex Rins and Joanne Mir, we did see Alex Rins get a podium at Kota. He's strong at Kota. The Honda's strong at Kota, but Kota's an anomaly. Realistically, that Honda, even with Marc Marquez on it, is not going to be podiuming for the rest of the year, in my opinion. I think Mark's at the point where he's done. 
quite frankly. I think he could split his contract. I want him to split that contract, obviously. But I also think he's at the point now where he's not going to override that bike. He's not going to continue to break his body for that Honda. It's just not worth it to him anymore. Maybe it's because he's settled down and got himself a girlfriend. But realistically, I think it's the fact that he underwent that fourth surgery. And that is a massive thing. He got his arm cut open. He got it bones um, rotated. And that is a massive thing for someone to do. And then to come back and have a bike that's just failing and failing. And it does seem like there's a culture issue at both Japanese manufacturers. You've got them probably not passing on as much information as they need to to their riders. Both Marc Marquez and Fabio Quattararo, the two uh, golden boys, we could say, for these manufacturers have both had meetings with upper management of their respective factories. So Marc with Honda and Fabio with Yamaha. It didn't, you know, they didn't seem overly renewed energy or anything like that after these meetings which is quite worrying and quite telling because it shows that you know the Yamaha and Honda are indeed in that pure amount of trouble. So Honda would qualify for concessions in March 2024 which is right around the corner. Do I think that's going to be a short enough time period for Mark to stay? I honestly don't know. I hope it is. I hope he sticks it out and that Honda turns it around and he wins another championship on it. But I just don't know. I think Alex Rins will definitely stay. I think he'll move up to the factory seat um, because he's definitely gelling with that Honda a lot more than Joanne Mir is. I think Joanne Mir... Honestly, I could see him going to... Sorry, that's my puppy. Um, I could see Joanne Mir going to Yamaha. Yes, that bike is also quite rubbish, but at least it ain't trying to kill anyone. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but that bike is scary. And so, also, I just want to throw to the floor. Do we think that these concession rules need changing? Do we think that any other rules need changing? I'm planning on doing, in the summer break... A podcast on what I think the rules should be or just changes that I think they should be just for fun because I'm gonna need to think of some content because I really want to keep this podcast going on a weekly basis because I'm enjoying it quite a lot but yeah I'm wondering should the concession rules need to be adjusted a bit more for when manufacturers start to fail maybe we need to look at a yearly system or a different point scale system once manufacturers get so far behind because this year Yamaha, Honda and even Aprilia are struggling quite a bit. Aprilia is in the unfortunate situation that they've had two riders injured but also it's now there's eight Ducatis on the grid. That's a rule I'm definitely going to be touching on when I do my podcast um, on the rule changes and these are just all things that we should be playing with I think in my opinion concessions would be the biggest one to change because the benefits for concessions you get more test riders and you also get your main riders being able to be test riders but alas I digress again moving on 
to predictions. So I'll start with the results from Saxon Ring, well, my predictions and my results, and then I'll make my Assen predictions. Hopefully my Assen predictions are a little bit more accurate. So for the sprint at Saxon Ring, in P1 I put Marc Marquez, P2 I put Jorge Martin, and P3 I put Fabio Quattararo. Now, obviously, Mark Marquez finished P11, so I get nothing for that one. Fabio Quattararo, also, I get nothing for that one. Or hey, Martin, at least I got him correct. I didn't get him in the right place, because he got P1 and I put him at P2, but I'm counting that as a win, so I'm giving myself a point for that. In the main race, again, I, in fact, I got nothing here. I put Mark Marquez for P1, Brad Binder for P2, and Jack Miller for P3. So, obviously, that none of that happened. We got Jorge Martin, P1, Peke Bagnaya, P2, and Joanne Zarco in P3. So I get zero points for that. I didn't even get any of them on the podium. I, yeah, that was, that's a disaster result for me there. I've decided I'm going to try and keep track of how well I do, although this is MotoGP. Anything can happen and predictions are pretty much pointless, in my opinion, because, yeah, anything can happen, it can totally change, and quite often it does change, without warning. However, let's look forward to Assen. So, I'm a bit more confident in my predictions for these ones, although I never would have guessed that Mark Marquez would do so horrifically at Saxon Ring. He is no longer the Saxon King. That is Jorge Martin. But onwards to Assen. So I think in the sprint we're going to get Marco Bezzecchi in P1, Jorge Martin in P2, and Peko Bagnaia in P3. So I think it's going to be totally dominated by Ducati's, well, the sprint race at least. Probably the main race as well, if I'm being realistic here. So for the main race, I have gone with P1, Marco Bezzecchi again. P2, throwing a KTM in there, I've gone with Brad Binder. And P3, I'm going with Peko Bagnaia. So I really hope this these predictions become true, because it also keeps the championship quite spicy. I'm hoping that... Um, Jorge Martin gets up there as well in the race because I'd really like to see him stay in title contention and also I think this will bring Bezeki right back into the championship fight and we'll have a three-way fight for the championship with three Ducatis but at least three Ducatis fighting for the championship is better than one Honda running away with the championship in my opinion. I say that as a massive Marc Marquez and Honda fan. I'm in a lot of pain right now. Mark, please break your contract. Joanne Mir, please break your contract. In fact, Alex Rins, Takanakagami, all break your contract. Bring back Suzuki. Whoop, whoop. I'm just on a Suzuki hype train at the moment a bit still. I just miss them. And it makes me sad when I see Joanne Mir and Alex Rins performing. I'm not going to say they're performing terribly, they're performing at a Honda standard, which is horrible, really. Um, in the server, Lily always says people have Honda goggles on. Lily's right, 
that Honda is terrible. Yes, it's been designed around Marc Marquez and, you know, that's been a big flaw and now even Marc can't ride it. Tekanakagami was riding behind Mark in the warm-up and he said that Mark did absolutely nothing wrong. The bike just went. You couldn't predict it. Hopefully all our injured riders are recovering. Hopefully we're going to see them all again soon. Hopefully Honda can stop yeeting its riders to oblivion and hopefully we can get back to racing without worrying who's going to crash next and having to hide behind the couch in parts. Fingers crossed. Hopefully it happens. Looking forward to Assen next week. Very excited to see some more racing. I think Assen is an absolutely fabulous track. Personally, it's my second favourite track. We always see good races. Assen 2018, without a doubt, what I consider the best race. If you're new to MotoGP, even if you're a returning fan who hasn't watched Essen 2018 in a while, go and watch it. You get major Moto3 vibes. It's practically a Moto3 race, but with the MotoGP guys, it's without a doubt one of the most fun races you will ever see. It's got so many overtakes, it's so exciting, and I highly recommend that everyone watches Essen 2018. If you're trying to get someone new into MotoGP, Essen 2018. It's on YouTube. It's on the MotoGP official channel. Watch it. It's free. It's so much fun and you will have a great time. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'll be back here rambling away next week if you want to join. As always, have a great week.